You're listening to Proven Perspectives, a podcast with John Hawkins, the founder of Leadership Edge Incorporated. I'm Laura, John's daughter, and in each episode, we will explore a topic related to life, leadership, or mentoring. Through nearly 50 years of faith in Christ, John has learned proven life and leadership perspectives that will equip listeners for a lifestyle of leadership in their marriages, families, careers, communities, and churches. Hey, Dad. Laura, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I've got a great cup of coffee in my hand, and I'm looking out on a beautiful afternoon in Southern California, and I'm getting to do a podcast with you. So how, how does it get better than that? <laughs> that is pretty fun. Hey, I was going to ask you, have you been um, cooking anything like new or any, found any good salads recently? I was trying to find like some <sighs> good... Uh, summer foods since it's getting a little bit hotter here. Yes. Well, I did do, it's interesting that you'd ask this. I did a uh, salad over the weekend that we really liked a lot, and I'm trying to recollect my thoughts as to what. (laughs) You know, it had uh, endive in it, which I have never used before. Is that like a lettuce? Well, I didn't know what it was, you know, but it is, it looks a lot like... uh, like iceberg lettuce. Okay. But it has a little bit more of a bitter taste to it. Okay. Uh, you know, and um, it was that, and it was like a Mediterranean salad where it had some olives, some tomatoes, some chickpeas. Oh, that and, does sound uh, good. Pretty simple, like vinaigrette dressing. Okay. And you, uh, yeah, it, it turned out we loved it. We, enjoyed it throughout the weekend and Uh, where'd you find it is it like all recipes or new york times no i think it's probably new york times um, okay in their cooking section you know it's called mediterranean salad and it has chickpeas in it i don't know if that distinguishes it enough (laughs) you know we've had some comments from our listeners about that we need to include the recipes in the show i know well i was thinking especially (laughs) since you can't remember the details we just need to put the link in the show notes although the thing about new york times is then you have to have a subscription yeah that's true (laughs) well we'll we'll, i'll dig it up and and put something in the show notes about excellent Uh, okay so sounds good yeah doing that and then you know you and some other friends are coming over this weekend your family and others and yeah so i'm going to be doing a dessert but not quite sure i think you and janet are going to discuss the dessert and let me know what you'd like so we'll be doing that this weekend awesome thanks dad okay so to Today, we're going to be featuring another person, book, or passage that has changed your life. I think this is the fourth in that series. Mm -hmm. And I know that our person for today is Elizabeth Elliott, and I know she's one of your favorites. So I'm excited to hear you share a little more about Elizabeth. Um, Just tell us a little bit about her like life, her legacy. Just get us started. Well, Elizabeth Elliott is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, I... I really don't know how to quantify or describe just all that I've learned from her. And I, I've said th- for years, and I say today, she is the Christian author that has best helped me to understand what living as a Christian means and what living as a Christian looks like. Hmm. And so uh, it's with great joy that we talk about her today. She was born actually in Belgium. In 1926, her parents were missionaries at the time, but 
pretty soon after her birth, they moved to Philadelphia, and that's where she uh, mainly grew up. Uh, she went to boarding school in Florida before she went to Wheaton University, Wheaton College, uh, as an undergraduate. And she was, in her lifetime, she was a, a linguist, a missionary, an author. Uh, she was uh, a mother, a sister, a wife, actually three times. Uh, her first two husbands predeceased her in death. And um, then she had a third husband when she died in uh, 19, I'm sorry, in 2015. So she wrote, I think, 20-something books. Uh, wow. She, she was a mother, a grandmother, and a seminary lecturer, international teacher, um, also played the piano. She was, she was quite... I didn't know that. ...an amazing woman, yes. Um, and she, to me, she has, again, helped me to understand, okay, I say I'm a Christian, I am a Christian. How does that work out every day? And when I'm trying to think of, okay, how do I live it out today? You know, two of the first sources I go to, one is, is the Bible, you know, and the second one is just things I've learned from Elizabeth. Hmm. And so I look forward to us talking about some of those things today to, you know, describe the impact that her life and teaching has had in my life, but also for our listeners, maybe to introduce some of them to Elizabeth Elliot yeah. and to the uh, great benefit that her writings and recordings can be to them as well. That sounds awesome. Well, and you, at the before the podcast, you gave me a great list of things that you've learned from Elizabeth. So I guess we'll just start at the top and see how many of these we can get to yeah. in the podcast. So the first one is, what have you learned from Elizabeth about how to think? <laughs> how to think. You know, I think it was Samuel Johnston uh, said one time that if you cause people to think they're thinking... They'll love you. If you actually require them to think, they'll hate you. How funny. <laughs> I, I have led some sessions before where I could definitely feel the hate in the audience because uh -huh. they were being pushed <laughs> to think. I think with Elizabeth, she, she pushed you to think, but she did it by her own example, by how she thought. And if I was to give two descriptors of how Elizabeth Elliot thought about things, how she processed things, how she worked her mind through things, the two descriptors would be that she was very biblical in it and that she was very clear. She, she was able to get rid of kind of the muddle, the extraneous things, hmm. sometimes the emotions that were somewhat overwhelming. And she was able to just biblically and simply think through something from beginning to end. And you see that in her writings, you see it in the stories that she would tell. Um, you also see it at some of the key moments in her life when her husband of, I think, hardly two years, her first husband, Jim, was martyred by a, um, a godless tribe of Indians in uh, Ecuador. Hmm. And just how she, when she received the news of her husband's death, 
how she thought through that and then came to conclusions and moved forward. So I think for me, you know, I'm, I think of myself as a somewhat clear thinker, uh, kind of a logically sequential A to B, B to C, C to D kind of thinker. But I can still get lost in the muddle of emotions yeah. or of pressure or of relational stuff. Yeah. And I appreciate what Elizabeth has taught me in terms of just how to think through something. Yeah. yeah. Well, and going back to what you said a minute ago about like the example she set and how she processed through her first husband's death. And she, yeah. she had like a child of less than a year, right? Like yes. a, a yes. baby. Yes. And so, because I think, you know, I, I guess, I don't know if part of it is that I was born after like all of that happened. And so maybe it felt more far removed for me in that way. But I feel like sometimes it can be easy to look at Elizabeth Elliot's life and choices and kind of almost kind of see it as one of those Bible stories like, you know, well, of course, <laughs> yes. Noah built an ark when God yeah. told him to and kind of like lose the fact that this was a real person who, like you said, you know, had to work through their own emotions and had to, you know, like she was a real person who was just walking with God one step at a time. So I guess, can you tell us a little more, like how did she think through that or what what did you see in her example in that? Yeah, well, it's going to get to one of the other things on our list to talk about. Great. One of the key adages or I don't know, mantras, guiding points of her life was the phrase, do the next thing. And this wasn't original to her. She learned it from a poem of old that's around the idea of do the next thing. But it's hmm. basically when you are completely overwhelmed with life, uh huh. what do you do? And what Elizabeth would do, would she would pray she would ask God to help her to be clear, what is the next thing I'm to do? And then she would do that. Hmm. And she would talk about how that was like her salvation. Huh. Because instead of just giving into, say, the grief uh, around her husband's first death and just collapsing into that, or the other challenges, you know, her second husband, who she married, um, you know, a number of years after her first husband died, I think they were married maybe a total of four years, and he died of cancer. Hmm. And so you see throughout her life, whether it's in the death of her first two husbands or just other things that would happen in her life, and the way that she would order her thinking is she would pray. She would reflect on anything from the Word that would guide her, and then she would ask God, help me to know the next thing to do. Is the mm. next thing to do to wash the dishes? Is the next thing to do is to call a friend? You know, what that she could, if she could only get clear on that, then she could move forward. And boy, I have found that just time and time again in my life where whatever was overwhelming me, and sometimes my own sin and failures, mm -hmm. and yet thinking, praying to God, okay, God, what is the next thing for me to do? And I can see how in some ways that is a salvation, not, you know, in the sense of a eternal salvation, but a salvation yeah. of the day, not being completely overwhelmed yes. by circumstances. She, she often said that 
that her hope was in Christ. Her hope wasn't in her being in a different set of circumstances. Hmm. Yeah. And, and what she meant by that was, we can always spend, well, if only I could be in this set of circumstances or that set of circumstances, they're very different than the ones I'm in, then I would be fine. And her perspective was, no need wasting time doing that. You know, my hope is in Christ, not in me being in a different set of circumstances. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And kind of, so you're, you've been talking about the way she thought, and then I know that kind of her her writing stuff, like the exact quote, I think, of what you just said is like, um, the secret is Christ in me, not a different set of circumstances. But just yeah. like the kind of like quick and yes. like pi- kind of pithy, I don't know if pithy is the right word, but like how would you mm-hmm. describe her writing or what did she teach you about how to write? Well, yes, she... I don't know if pithy is quite the right word, but she, you know, she was from the Northeast and spent a lot of her time in New England. And she thought, I think she thought and wrote both very clearly, but also very economically. She was always trying to get rid of extraneous words, as she wrote. Uh, She was always aiming for clarity and Hmm. using action verbs um, and and her writing style has like a crispness, a, yeah, a directness that is just uh, for me at least it was just compelling because I felt like she was always moving me along and and you know I, I with the points we're going to talk about today this one about writing I have learned a lot from her about that, but I still feel that in my own writing, I have a long way to go in terms of ever coming close to the effective, clear, concise style uh, with which she wrote. Hmm. And and I think the thing that balanced out her writing style was the stories she would tell. Hmm. And, and it was always interesting again you know as you said it's easy for us to put you know modern day folks like elizabeth elliott kind of in the same category of noah or someone in the old testament of yeah they're on a pestle they're completely unlike me and all that but you know when she spoke of herself she would always speak of her inadequacy she would talk about how reticent she was to speak before groups and yet she did it I think like 130 times a year she would be speaking to groups. Um, she she was very aware of her frailties and her inadequacies. But I think she just so faithfully trusted God and kept doing the next thing to where you don't pick that up until you hmm. you read or hear her say that. But I was, I was saying that part of her writing style was the stories she told. And, and what was interesting, you know, is of her time, she knew all of the major evangelical figures that we would think of. She knew John Piper. She was very close friends with Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth. Hmm. She knew J.I. Packer. You know, she, she knew, but she, wouldn't, she would never write about them. Huh. It was always about just common people. And all the things that she had learned from them 
and all the ways that they had impacted her life. And and I, I, I think one of the most lasting effects for me of her writing was remembering the stories, like the different people, like Mrs. Cummings and Mrs. Cumming, Cunningham and hmm. Amy Carmichael and Jim Elliott and Mrs. Kershaw and Mrs. DuBose, just all these figures, some of them even somewhat comical, but they were unknown, relatively simple people who lived out their faith. And that's what she was always looking for. Hmm, that's cool. Well, and one thing you just said, like sometimes her stories were comical because it's such an interesting, like she seemed very, I don't know, like no nonsense. <laughs> yeah. But then some of like you were telling me a story this last week about <laughs> a conversation that she had with a Warani Indian. Like, yeah. And it was just like, it was just so hilarious. Like she saw the dry humor, right? Oh, yeah. I think I think what made her humor so effective is it was like exquisitely dry and it counterbalanced the serious nature that she had hmm. to where, you know, you expect her to be, you know, serious and purposeful and not wasting time, you know, telling jokes kind of stuff. And so then when she would insert humor, it was just hysterical. You know, it was like the one I think I told you was this, yeah, this tribe that when she went to them in the 1950s, they were literally like a Stone Age tribe. And they they weren't entirely naked, but they had like just a thin little string uh-huh. kind of around their pubic area that didn't in any way like cover up their pubic area, but they just had this string for some reason. So finally, one day, Elizabeth says to one of the people, so why do you wear that string? And the person looked at them with just total amazement, looked at Elizabeth and said, well, you wouldn't expect us to go around naked with you. <laughs> And, As though Elizabeth is like the one out of line. That's yes. Just so. <laughs> like she's almost right. critiquing Elizabeth for a lack of modesty <laughs> kind of thing. Uh-huh. Which was just, you know, just hysterical. Yeah. Uh, another one I was listening to recently where she was talking about longing for heaven. And she said, you know, uh, I already have two husbands in heaven. And one of them has his first wife with him, so I better get up there pretty quick. <laughs> and so when she said that, the whole audience just cracks up. And again, some could say that, and it wouldn't come off that funny. But with her, as serious and somewhat sober as she is, uh, her musing on her first, her second husband's first wife was was quite funny. So she... She did interject humor in wonderful ways. Well, and it's interesting, I guess, in light of, and you've alluded to this, but like all that she suffered, like her humor in light of that. So yeah. what did Elizabeth teach you about how to suffer? <laughs> well, she, I mean, she plenty more suffered, you know, and in college, she fell in love with Jim Elliott, who eventually became her first husband, but as strongly drawn to each other as they were, uh, they both felt called by God to different areas of missions. And so they confessed their love to each other, but then confessed that they would walk away from each other 
because hmm. of their calling. So kind of the heartbreak of that. And then finally, God calls the two of them together. They're married, I believe, in Ecuador. And then again, as you said, within two years, he is martyred. And she's left in the jungle, uh, literally by herself, with a uh, very young daughter. And um, then she eventually went back to the tribe that had killed her husband, moved in with them, she and another missionary named Rachel Saint. And through their witness, a number of the people, even of those who killed her husband, uh, came to faith in Christ. But there is plenty of hardship in that whole situation, hmm. and even some tensions amongst the missionaries. And um, then she, you know, came back to the United States. Uh, you know, was went through some different experiences here that were very hard for her. Then married Addison Leach, her second husband, and as I said, within four years he is dead of cancer. And um, so. She suffered, and she let you in to her sufferings, but she also just simply explained how she dealt with them. Hmm. She, she would say that suffering is having what you do not want or wanting what you do not have. Hmm. And that's an interesting definition for suffering. Like a lot of times we think, well, it's not suffering until like I'm about to die or, you know, someone's just done a horrible criminal offense against me and then then that's suffering. But I think she had more of a whole life sense of suffering that no suffering is anything where we have what we don't want or want what we don't have. And yet, you know, the title of one of her books is Suffering is Not for Nothing. Hmm. And the idea was that it is in suffering that God is perfectly working out his sovereign plan for our lives, for our sanctification, for his purposes in us. And she would talk about the pain. She would talk about, you know, when, when she was hurting so much, she didn't even have words to speak. But she would continue to go, you know, to God in prayer, yielding herself to him again and asking him to tell her what's the next thing you'd have me do. So I think for me with suffering, she taught me that you don't wallow in it. Mm. Um, you don't become a victim in it. You don't give in to anger in it. Uh, you don't blame others for it. You take it as an opportunity to learn about the sovereignty of God in your life, and you walk through it, you know, with Him. You know, one of the prayers that she wrote, a prayer of dedication, it starts with, Lord, I give up to you all that I have, all that I am, all that I do, and then all that I suffer. And so, in a sense, she saw every day we, we offer up to God our sufferings. And that's an interesting way of thinking. So, I think from that I've learned that the most important lessons in life have to be learned experientially, not just cognitively. Hmm. And they usually involve pain. And a lot of that I've learned from Elizabeth Elliot. Hmm. Man, that's good. Well, and 
And as you were talking, like those examples you gave were examples of how she like relied on God in her suffering. And they were also great examples of like a life lived in obedience, like in laying down the relationship with Jim or um, returning to the the area where her husband had been killed, things like that. So I guess I know you have said that um, her obedience is another thing that has really uh, impacted you. What did you learn from Elizabeth about how to obey? (laughs) Well, I think that was... That was the, in, in a sense, the or like a, like daily focus. Like hmm. if the purpose of today is for me to obey him, for me to believe him, for me to trust him, and for me to obey him and to pour out my heart to him. And so uh, she wrote a book called Obedience, A Glad Surrender. And again, it's the idea of the, the proof of our faith is you know our obedience to the Lord and, and you know a verse that that brings to mind for me is John fourteen twenty one that says Jesus is speaking says he who has my commandments and keeps them or obeys them he it is who loves me and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him and so that clearly tells us up front the one who loves God is not just the one who knows God's commandments or has God's commandments. It's the one who keeps them, who obeys them. And again, for Elizabeth, that was, it had to stay simple. Like she, she, would, she would move away from pondering, okay, God, how am I going to obey you tomorrow or next week when this is going to happen? Huh, yeah. Her focus would always be uh, today. You know, she wrote that, that really tomorrow is none of our business. Mm. <laughs> and, and my problem is I want to make tomorrow all about my business. Sure, yeah. And, and sometimes waste today. Huh. And uh, she, she just wouldn't do that. And, and that kind of blends into you know, another one we have on this list of living a simple life. I, I, th- I, think, I think you can get kind of the theme here. She, she wrote simply. She hmm. thought simply. Doing the next thing was just a simple way to move through the day. Her ideas of obedience, it was, it was all simple. It wasn't convoluted. She definitely was trained theologically. She was a linguist. She could translate the Greek New Testament, you know, with ease kind of things. But it was always simple with her. Hmm. And and the stories again that she would tell of people to illustrate her word her words were always just simple stories of obedience. Uh, so I guess one of the for me one of the core things of Elizabeth Elliot is just simplicity. That's that's what she aimed for. Hmm. I remember one time. Um, she was speaking somewhere, and her husband, her third husband, Lars, had given some announcements uh, before she came up to speak, and they were very confused. And so, <laughs> and, and kind of her dry humor kind of way, uh, she said, what we aim for is clarity, but, every, but, but very often all we get is confusion. <laughs> and and that, that was Elizabeth, you know. Our, our aim here is clarity. How do we make this clear? How do we make this simple? Yeah. Hmm. 
Man, that's good. Well, and I'd be interested to hear, not to put you on the spot, but if you can think of something um, like, I guess, with obedience or with living a simple life, like you were saying, her examples were always you know, just everyday people. Um, and you kind of alluded to a way that you, this practically applied in your life with, um, instead of focusing on the future, learning from her to focus on faithfulness right now. But I guess, are there any other specific ways that you have seen, like how she challenged you to, um, greater obedience or a life of greater simplicity? Well, yeah, one, one story that she tells is about her dorm mother when she was at Wheaton College, and her name uh, was Catherine Cummings. And she was from a very wealthy uh, family, Miss hmm. Cummings was, in Augusta, Georgia. But when she became a Christian, her family completely cut her off from hmm. any money, from any anything. And so she's a dorm mother at Wheaton College, and very much, you know, spiritually investing in the women in her dormitory. So one day, Elizabeth's walking across campus, and she sees uh, Miss Cummings coming across campus in just a huff, and she's like carrying a mop bucket and a mop and maybe some rolls of toilet paper. And she walked up to Elizabeth, or Elizabeth walked up to her, and she said, you know, Miss Cummings, what's wrong? Can I help you? And Miss Cummings just kind of lets it rip and said, I came to Wheaton College to be a spiritual director for you young women, and what do they have me doing but carrying mop buckets and toilet paper across campus? And then mm. she just goes off in a huff. So years later, uh, Miss Cummings has retired, and Elizabeth goes to visit her in the retirement home. And, uh, and, and Elizabeth recounts that story to Miss Cummings. And she just blushes with just complete embarrassment. And she said, to think that God would allow me to serve in that way and that I would complain like I did that day. Hmm. And you know... That's a simple story, but yeah. I probably heard that story, I don't know, 25 years ago, and I still think about it. Hmm. Just this simple woman who's being asked to do something that she hadn't signed up for, and like me, kind of went to the dark side over it, mm -hmm. and yet now, years later, she reflects, she sees what a great opportunity that was to serve God. And so embarrassed that she had had such an attitude as she had. Hmm. And again, Elizabeth told that story as a, as a story of how that impacted her and what she learned from Miss Cummings' example related to that. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah. So, and what about, like, can you tell us a little bit more about, like, her story with Jim Elliott? Like, I know that's kind of what launched her onto the national scene, but it's also just, like, an amazing story of, um, like, his simple life of obedience. Yeah, and, and if we're going to recommend some books at the end if people are wanting to get familiar with Elizabeth, but, you know, the books that she wrote on Jim called uh, The Shadow of the Almighty is basically a chronicling of Jim's life 
told through the journals that he kept. And Elizabeth, uh, after Jim's death, put together this book from his journals. But he grew up in uh, the Northwest and was a high school and collegiate wrestler. He was very bright. He was very driven and very on fire for the Lord, especially around preaching and evangelism. And, um, and they, again, as I said, they met at Wheaton. They fell in love. Uh, he confessed her, his love to her, but then again told uh, her that he would have to walk away because of God's calling. And um, some of their dating relationship, in fact, a lot about their dating relationship, is in a book that Elizabeth wrote called Passion and Purity. And it just talks about the the deep love between the two of them, uh, especially before their marriage, but again, the purity part, that they kept it in a godly way. Um, but he was a remarkable man, and, and I was blessed by God to read uh, The Shadow of the Almighty when I was in college, and it it just set me on fire. Hmm. I... I have read that book probably five times in my lifetime. Huh. And again, just the simple but very driven passion of this man to be used of the Lord was quite quite a story for this young guy in college to read. Uh, so, And it was really tr- through the death of Jim and the other four or five guys that were killed by this tribe that in some ways a whole missions movement was hmm. engendered through the stories of their sacrifice. Um, so that was, yeah, he's, he was quite a man. And they had, you know, it was a short relationship, but boy, they, they packed a lot into it. That's really cool. Well, and Dad, I feel like there's so many more things that I like want to yeah. ask you about from this. I know we're getting a little short on time. One thing I wanted to make sure from your list that I got to ask you about was you wrote that you learned a lot from Elizabeth about how to grow old. And I am really curious to hear um, about that. Yeah, and, and it's, it's cool because in the show notes, uh, along with my latest recipe from the New York Times <laughs> or wherever it's going to be, we're going to include in the show notes a piece I wrote. It's a two-page piece called To Declare That the Lord is Upright. And it's going to be talking about God's purposes for uh, older people, for old age. And mm. it kind of tells that story through uh, the life of Elizabeth. But, you know, there's a, a passage in Psalm 92 that says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. And then it says this, They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. And then it talks about these old people that are still trucking on in their old age. Hmm. And it says that their purpose is to declare that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. You know, Charles Spurgeon said that every aged Christian is a letter of commendation to the immutable fidelity of God. Huh. And that that every generation is a testimony to the next of God's faithfulness. 
And that's exactly what Elizabeth was to me as she grew older and then even, you know, just musing on her 10 years with dementia where she was silenced. Um, I remember something that she wrote where she said, I'm not the least bit bashful about telling my age. I'm glad for every birthday that comes because it is the Lord, my faithful guide, who summoned the generations from the beginning. I look in the mirror and see the increasingly and increasingly visible proofs <laughs> of the number of years. But I'm reconciled. Christ reconciles me to God and to God's wonderful plan. My life is his life. My years are his years. To me, life is Christ, and death is nothing but gain. When I remember that, I really can't think of a thing I ought to be afraid of. I can't be sorry I'm a year older and nearer to absolute bliss. And that's how she thought about it. Hmm. And, and, you know, uh, I'm 68 now, and I'm an older person. And like that psalm, you know, I want my life to be a testimony to this generation and the next of the faithfulness of God. And Elizabeth, uh, very much in so many ways, also taught me what it was like to grow older as a Christian. Hmm. That's and really... to be simple in faith in those years. Man, that's good. Well, and I really liked the Spurgeon quote and just kind of that idea that a person who is seeing the faithfulness of God over a lifetime, like what, just the blessing and wisdom that they have to share. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, um, you said Elizabeth passed away in 2015, and then the 10 years before that, she had dementia. Um, but I guess even though the generation, you know, I guess the, the context in which she was writing is in a lot of ways very different, even though it wasn't that long ago, but so much has changed in culture. How do you find her writings and her life story to still be relevant? <laughs> How are they relevant? Yeah, you think, you know, she's she's been removed from us literally for, you know, 15 years, 10 years of dementia and five since she died. So, you know, if we were to mention to her something like TikTok, she would, other than, you know... <laughs> we're whatever, really into TikTok. Yeah, what, whatever that is, she would have no idea of that. Or uh -huh. if we were to talk about just some of the horrible political polarity yeah. that there is now. You know, she's, she's even though it's only been 15 years, there has been so much that has happened in 15 years. Yeah. And so you could say, well, she's irrelevant. She's not still a person of our times. And yet I would think, bless the Lord that she's not a person of our times, hmm. but that she was a person of another time. But she was a person who in that time learned the word of God, learned to trust God in that generation and in those challenges. And so, yes, she speaks of a different day. Like when she writes about the family that she grew up in in the 1920s and 30s, it is a very different family than I would imagine any of our listeners grew up in. Hmm. And yet there are lessons to learn. So I think that I appreciate the fact 
that she's not of this time. Yeah. And that God's given her and all the other saints that went before her for us to learn from who aren't so caught up in the confusion of our moment Hmm. to where they can't think and speak clearly. So this is another way of saying to our listeners, I don't think there is any other author that I would recommend to you more highly than Elizabeth Elliot. She may be a little bit hard for you to get your mind around initially, and it may be she's just an author you don't connect with. Hmm. But I would say that any time you could spend reading about her, learning from her, listening to her recordings or her reading her books, it would give you a fresh breath, I think, of biblical sanity. Yeah, no, that's really good. Well, and so for a person, like if a listener wants to learn more um, from Elizabeth Elliot, where would you suggest that they begin? Well, probably the first suggestion would be a recent book that was written by an author, uh, Ellen Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-N, that is the authorized biography of Elizabeth Elliot. It's called Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. And actually, it's only from like her birth through her kind of the death and her going of her first husband and her going back to that tribe. So it's kind of the first of probably two or three more that will come out by uh, by Ellen Vaughn. But it is just a really great, clear, interesting read on uh, on the woman Elizabeth Elliot. So mm-hmm. that would be one. Uh, Shadow of the Almighty, which I've already mentioned, is uh, kind of the story of Jim Elliot as told through his journals that she put together. Another place is there's a website called elizabethelliot.org, and I will note that Elizabeth's name is with an S, not a Z, so it's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H, elizabethelliot.org, and that is... uh, the website of the Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot Foundation, and it has all kinds of recordings and resources and information about Elizabeth's life and ministry. And then basically just anything else that you find that she's written, hmm. uh, just any book you pick up, uh, I would say will be well worth your time. So those are the recommendations I would give on that. That's awesome. Well, and yeah, this podcast has been encouraging to me both to read some more um, from her, but um, yeah, I think also just some of the things you were talking about of her expectations um, of God's faithfulness and in her suffering. And anyways, it was yeah. it was encouraging to hear um, this from you. So thanks, Dad. Do you want to wrap us up? You bet. You know, we were talking about the lessons I've learned from her about old age. You know, every generation is here not just for themselves, but for the next generation. And um, that's something that really compels me personally. At Leadership Edge, our organization, that's a lot of why we're here, is to raise up God-honoring leaders for the next generation. And we do that largely through Christian mentoring. So if you'd like to know more about the mission, vision of Leadership Edge, or you'd like to sign up for our our mentor training, uh, please go to our website at www.lead-edge.com, and you'll find all the resources you can get there. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dad. And thanks, listeners, for joining us. 
Listeners, if you would like to find out more about John's thoughts on life, leadership, and mentoring, please go to the Leadership Edge website at www.lead-edge.com. Or if you have questions or ideas of topics for future podcasts, please reach out to us at lai at lead-edge.com. We look forward to hearing from you.